0: Hey Chad, it's Hunter Browley with Regal Realty Group. Thank you so much my friend for letting me be here again. Um, we have got a ton of stuff going on right now in the real estate world. Uh, besides coronavirus and tornadoes and all that stuff, we are still running strong. So uh, we are building houses out on the lake in Mount Juliet uh, on Old Hickory Lake. We've got about... Uh, I think 15, 20 lots left out there that we can do for you. Custom-built homes on the lake and lake view. We've also got about 60 townhomes that we're building in Mount Juliet. Uh, and then, of course, I've got four or five homes in East Nashville that are just about complete right now. Would be happy to show anybody or give details to anybody about those. Uh, and then I've got a mansion that we're building out in Westmead, too. That's going to be really, really super cool. Hopefully uh, looking at winning some architectural awards for that one. Uh, 4,000 square foot on the side of a hill. Going to be really, really nice. Anyways, like I said, lots of stuff going on. And uh, hope to see you guys soon. Give me a call anytime you need me. 615-630-9735. Again, that's Hunter Briley with Regal Realty Group. Thanks.
1: It's the season two finale of the Chit Chad podcast, presented by Regal Realty and Hunter Briley. So I opened the podcast in season one with Megan Barry, former Nashville mayor, and I said, this is the person locally that I want to talk to who had not spoken since she resigned office. And I knew all along, if we made it to a season two, Shannon, that I wanted Shannon Terry to be the season finale of season two of the Chit Chat podcast. Thank you so much for making this a reality. I do appreciate it. Seriously,
2: you're, you're too kind. I'm I'm incredibly excited to be here
1: tonight. So there's so much to get into. We have uh, not even an hour to get into it. So let's dive right into it and let's start in the beginning with the beginning. You grew up in Alabama on a farm. I'm married to a farm girl. I grew up on a farm in Nebraska. <laughs> I understand that it is a forced labor at times with the the children yeah. of farmers, and that was your reality growing up. How, how did that sort of help shape your early existence into a work ethic that we see throughout your career? You
2: know, you know I've been asked that a lot of times, and I, I don't know that there's there's a, a a a real answer to it from my perspective. I know there was an example, you know, what what I had growing up you know were two parents that work worked their butts off grandparents that worked hard um and it was you know do what you had to do to do the job to do your job and so that's what I saw there weren't there weren't a lot of frills i mean my dad um my dad didn't go to college he worked um during the day which put an asterisk by that at PPG Industries in Huntsville and they were glass building not the paints they were building uh windshields for fighter jets i think that at that time so he worked the second and or third it's ship. It's pretty damn cool, by the way. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. he, he just worked on the, fa- on the, on the factory line. And, and, um, and he, he worked the second and third ship so that he could run the farm. And my mom's side of the family had been farmers for generations. My grandfather's a farm. You know, really strong, middle-class family, nothing special. I didn't know any different than the way I was raised or the way I grew up. Both of my parents just worked And they focused on the family, and they focused on paying the bills, and everything else is just kind of secondary at the time.
1: So I I agree with you on this, and I've heard you talk about this. I've seen you tweet about this in in my years knowing you, but you can tell a lot about a person in how they play and pick up basketball (laughs) and how they play as a teammate and what they're doing in that game. Everything. Thing. It's a
2: great yes. job
1: interview for someone. If you hear someone, you know, I played high school basketball. Hey, this guy played high school basketball. If you want to interview him for a job, get him out on the pickup court and see how they play as a teammate, see how they, their effort level, what they do, their, their knowledge of the game, their smart, everything about it. I'm totally with you on that. And I'm trying to kind of piece together <laughs> this person that becomes a guy who – starts an industry, which is Shannon Terry with Rivals.com and eventually 24-7 sports, and then eventually what we're going to get into. But a big part of that is basketball yeah. for you, and that's a big part of your life. Still is. Yeah. You still play pickup basketball all the time. Playing basketball in Alabama and then going and playing for legendary coach Don Meyer, how much did that shape you? Obviously, you learned a lot from him. We could probably spend an entire podcast on that. But what was the biggest takeaway in terms of you as a basketball player and what sure. that taught you?
2: You know, for, for me, I had unbelievable mentors, mentors growing up. I mean, I had a phenomenal high school basketball coach. He he, he played college basketball. I mean, sorry, college baseball. Um, he was a great basketball coach. He was a, Bobby Buford, he was, a, he was a mentor of my life. In Woodville, was, Alabama, right? Yeah, well, I, that was actually uh, Grant. But grew up in Woodville and moved my senior year. I just had really good coaches that were mentors along the way. And then obviously Coach Meyer, you know, Googling. You know, there's enough to be said. Everything about him was was terrific. So I'm 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 so so lucky to have, have played in his program. Here's the thing about sports, and here's why I love sports. Sports reveals character. Rev- sports reveals characters as well. But sports reveals character. And one thing we've always done in all of our organizations, we've had pickup basketball. I've played, you know, with pretty much everyone that I've worked with to some degree, whether they're good or not good, it doesn't matter. But it reveals character. You really quickly see, you know, who will compete, you know, who will do their job, who thinks they're better than they think they are. All the, all the areas of character is revealed. And so for me, it's also it reveals, you know, you learn a lot about your friends. You know, on the basketball, on the the basketball call. I mean, I've played with some of, I have so fortunate, you know, sports, a guy named Greg Lorenzi, who is maybe one of the best basketball players I've ever played, played small school somewhere in Hanover, Ohio, is one of the best basketball players I've ever played with. And he made the statement, every person I know I've met through basketball. And it really got my head spinning. He told me that like 10 years ago. sports. As much as it reveals character, is a connector, and I have been so fortunate to meet so many people from Mark Miller of you know lead singer of Sawyer Brown, who you know, yeah, they had a run in the nineties, but you know, Garth Brooks opened for him, Toby Keith, Kenny Chesney, all these people opened for him. To guys like R. A. Dickey, who's one of the most competitive human beings I
1: have. The guy ever. can play everything too. He is. It's an great, amazing, amazing great athlete. Amazing athlete. Great
2: at everything he does to to guys like Drew Maddox, who is the best Who's married shooter married to my first cousin best shooter ever with, to guys like Jay Cutler who is the most misunderstood you know it's funny Greg and I talk about this Cutler's one of the best teammates I've ever played with well that that doesn't that doesn't line up with the narrative you know that so it reveals character I truly believe that
1: and it's also it's such a great meritocracy and it's also such a great um, you know, uniter of people, right? Like, you could play with a guy that's completely different than you ideologically, politically, whatever it may be. But if you've played together on a team and you've worked together for a common goal, there's something different about sports, and, and we'll use the basketball analogy, something different about basketball that brings people together unlike anything else. And I'm sure that you've seen that. Over over your career and your life playing the game, you know, uh,
2: socioeconomic boundaries are are torn down. Um, differences, beliefs, you know, all of the above are, are torn down. Um, it's you find your place, you do your job, you know, and you fit in. And the beauty of sports and especially basketball, if you just do your job, you fit in. You don't have to be the star. You actually don't even have to be great. And that's you know that's one of the reasons. I love how – I'm sorry. I love how football has kind of taken over the mid-state from basketball because the thing I love about high school football, and I didn't play it, I don't care how good you are or how bad you are, there is a place for you if you play high school football. There's somewhere you can contribute and be a yes. part of a team. That's difficult with some of the other sports. And so, I mean, sports are phenomenal. And, I, you know, I really my, – my daughter played high school tennis and she was pretty good. And I'm on her now, like she's you know, married an adult, play tennis. My son, you know, played high school basketball, pick up, play pickup basketball. There's so many things to learn from sports. And in one of my, you know, in my next life, one of the things that I hope starts, I have conversations all the time with Kirk Herb Street about this. There is so much good that can be learned and taught in sports. And and I go and I see some of these high school teams all over the country. I see the coaches practice. and I see the things being taught. and So much is good there. But I, I really want to see more stepping back from the actual game and the drills and, and the learning uh, to play the game and, and more towards the actual law, life lessons and the relationships that come from it. And that's, that is something in my next round of businesses that we will commit to and that we will build and build around.
1: I love my high school coach, Tim Bell at Mount Juliet High School. Loved him, and 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 you're right because there are a lot of times where football it's universal. Everyone can go play it. They don't. They might have a tryout, but you're not getting shut out of the team. You can go contribute. You got to try out for the basketball team at Mount Juliet or any big school, and kids get cut. So not everyone can do it. But there's a time, and I'm I'm what you're saying rings true with me because he was a great coach. He was a great mentor. But if he could step aside and say, hey, this is what Henry Ford did yeah. with an assembly line, and this is how it relates to basketball, and this is how it could relate to your life, there's a lot of meaning behind that. But, but I do want to get into this, Shannon, because you were a guy who sold a company for $100 million in 2007. We're going to get to that. But anyone capable of doing that has an ego. They have pride about them. It's not by accident. There's no mistake about getting to that point in your career. How do you bury that ego when you're playing for a guy like Don Meyer and you're a member of a team like that? Because that's got to be a difficult thing for someone that's in your position now in life to do, even when you're 18, 19, 20 years old.
2: You know, I, I've said this on a bunch of different podcasts. I, I really feel during... This is
1: the best one you're ever going to be on, though, yeah, by the way. 100%. All those other ones, yeah.
2: Uh, you know, look, I was Outside of Joe Rogan, every yeah. other one is you know, worse I, than I this hope one. to do something significant enough
1: to, yeah, to get that right. invite. But Correct. here's
2: the thing. I think I was misunderstood during my days at Lipscomb because I had an ego. I had confidence. And I think it was misunderstood. And, you know, and I can't, I can't say... I'm a slow learner, believe it. You know, I'm a slow learner, and I don't think I went to Lipscomb with the proper mindset. I think I went to Lipscomb very much a it's about me, you know. And I think, you know, I don't know when but that's natural for everyone. Yeah, and 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 I think it's probably an age and immaturity, and I was you know a high school quote unquote star at where I was. All those factors, but to me, I wasn't as good a teammate in a lot of respects, um, that I could have been, but I think I was misunderstood because what I would do then is no different than what I did when I founded and sold rivals or 24 seven or all the others is that I would compete and I wouldn't back down. And I was, I was authentic. And what I learned from those experiences is, or is this as great as coach Meyer was at building an organization. I think the organization, was too dominating and didn't didn't allow the different voices and personalities to do what they could do well and, and I think the person the the organization was too strong and I have kind of made a vow even to to the detriment to let my leaders lead and develop and grow and listen to people and let people fail you know the best thing in the world is to take young talent, get them in your organization. I've hired 1,500, 2,000 people. A lot of times they make decisions, they fall on the sword, and I let them. I sit there and I, and I go, you know, I had an incident with Outsider soon. You know, I let a guy that we brought in that is a phenomenal talent, has been with me for a long time. I knew what he was doing was going to make a mistake. I knew it wasn't going to work. and I let him do it because then that's the only time those lessons can be learned. That didn't happen at Lipscomb, and I think it put a cap on the ceiling of what Lipscomb and what Coach Myers' basketball program could be.
1: So we're recording this podcast right now at the uh, Standard at Smith House, downtown Nashville. We've been here before. It's a great spot. We're in the Gold Room. Anna Glenn Grove is our producer uh, for this podcast. Anna Glenn, if you will, please take the drink for Mr. Terry and put it next to him where he can reach it. I feel like it's way too far away. Uh, because the questions I'm going to ask, he's going to he's going to need that. But at least it's closer. And I have one. Well. Cheers, by the way, yeah, and thank you for doing this. Um, the formation of rivals and just the entire idea behind it fascinates me because you know I went to University of Tennessee from 2000 to 2004, and this is really taking off at this point. And now I live in a world where I can't imagine a sports media world that doesn't focus. On high school football, which I own a site covering high school yep. football and recruiting. But it wasn't a thing until you started it. What was it? What was the spark? What was the thing that you saw that you said, you're a young guy at the time, and you said, this is it. This is going to be something where maybe other people had the idea, but no one had any follow through on that idea? You know,
2: it, it honestly was really easy. And here, here's, here's the deal. I was – I never played football. Played basketball. Um, I was – my passion was football. Loved it. Loved SEC football. Loved, exactly
1: the same as me. Only played basketball yeah, and baseball but loved football. Never loved played.
2: Loved it. Like if, I, if, if our school had, had had it, you know, I wouldn't have been as good a basketball player, but that's what I would have done. I loved – I was an Alabama fan but loved Tennessee almost as much at the time. Not quite as much, but, I mean, I was – I was just a passion. You were in that Phil Fulmer corridor. of I was. Southern Tennessee was. and
1: Northern Alabama where you don't quite know who you're a Di- fan of. Distant relative. And so, you
2: know, that was, I just loved it, you know? And, and so when I went to Lipscomb, um, you know, we were in AI, that meant we rode the bus and coach Meyer was a psycho about preparation and practice. And so. I can't, and I'm sure this is an embellishment. I can't remember. I can't remember in five
1: years there seeing a college football game.
2: And so the wow. one thing that meant the most, just because
1: to me, the regimen was so difficult,
2: there was no way. We we shoot arounds and meetings in the morning, get on a bus. There was it just didn't happen. Plus, we didn't have TVs in our dorm, and so there was no way you're gonna get you're gonna play a home game on a Saturday night. You're gonna sit out in the lobby on one TV that may or may not have it on. Because it wasn't allowed. No, there, there, you, well, there they were okay. it just wasn't. There, there wasn't. We didn't. You know, this is the this is 1987. Through it wasn't 92. offered at Lipscomb at the time. Wasn't offered. They didn't okay. have a chance to see a game, and so and so. This was my life. I t- I mean, I went to 30, 40 SEC games. I mean, I went to them. I watched them. This was my passion. Well, I get out of school, and um, and I wasn't an, I wasn't avid listener of Bob Bell Bill King's uh, 1510 show. And, you know, I, I did everything I could to keep up with what was going on. Subscribed to the Tuscaloosa News. I read Bama Mag. And then a few years after college, I got a chance to see the internet for the first time. Now, I had played on message boards. That's what they were called. Uh, bulletin boards, whatever. I was a prodigy member. AOL prodigy, whatever. The, I don't even remember what this shit was called.
1: AOL. AOL, all that stuff. But when Everyone I saw, remembers the sound of the dial-up from back but, in the day. But
2: there was one night. I remember living in Box Mirror Place over here in Burton Hills. I saw web crawler, and I Googled something or web crawled something, and I said, "This is the future." And that was the very moment the light went off. And I use the term distribution all the time. I knew at that moment everything that we do, and I wasn't
1: thinking as far as you know buying groceries. What were you doing at the time that you saw this web crawler, and you uh, thought that?
2: Uh, I think I'd either just had uh, we had just had Ellie um who's 24 now. Um she my wife was either pregnant at the time or we just or Ellie was very new. And where were you working? I don't even remember. I was working at uh I was either working at First American National Bank as a, as a credit analyst or I was doing freelance writing and all that stuff. Okay. So, so but my passion was obviously, you know, SEC. And I remember that moment going, This will be the way we consume content. Now I wasn't thinking groceries and Ubers and <laughs> all the things of the day, but I knew it was. And that was the that was the tiny mustard seed that when nineteen ninety six, when I called Greg Goff, who was done with his time, he was a guy I went to college with, he was an engineer. He was finishing up at FedEx. He was working for Anderson Consulting, Arthur Anderson, Accenture, whatever. And I said to him, Greg, I got an idea for a business that will make some money. And we met at Macaroni Grill in Cool Springs on a napkin. I said, can you build me this?
1: Macaroni Grill for the Middle Tennessean, (laughs) by the way, was also very new at this point. Okay, I'm assuming Macaroni Grill at this time. I'm trying to picture the time frame. This was brand new Macaroni Grill, which is maybe closed yeah. down by now. Who knows?
2: I don't I have no clue.
1: Either way, it may still yeah. be there, but Macaroni Grill it had to be very new at the time.
2: Yeah, and so rolled up there and I said, "If you can build me this, um, we got a business." And he goes, and I said, "Also, I need $30,000. I got 30 cuz I had $30,000 in my name. I need $30,000 from you." And he said, "Sure." And so we put $60,000 in an account. And we started building a content management system. Big words, okay? What that meant was this. Someone sitting in Nashville, Tennessee, or someone sitting in Athens, Georgia, could update, uh, uh, update a website without having to know anything technically. That was the brilliance in what, what was built. And so then a few months later, we had hired a bunch of people, and we started covering the SEC on the Internet.
1: It's so you're doing this early on, and I feel like Shannon. There has to be a moment where you say, "This shit isn't working. It's just not going to pan out. Never. I, I hired people, and it's not going to work. Or no. did it just go gangbusters from the moment you started? You know, the only moment in
2: in the business career, 25 years, where I had doubt, where I had, where I was pissed off, where I was scared was about year 18-month of 24-7 sports. And that was, I'm trying to put maybe 2012-ish or
1: whatever. Your non-compete was three years?
2: My, my non-compete was two years and a one-year sit. So, so, yeah, worked it been to, 2011, I, 2012. Yeah, so around that time. So we were about 18 months into 24-7 sports. We had paired our monthly loss from $300,000 a month down to about 180, and um, we were really struggling you know and and looking back at it I'd, I was building a new house um, I was um, on the either gotten just gotten married or you know remarried or started that whole process um, I wasn't leading like I knew i was I was letting people make decisions that I knew were not going to work, and it kind of snowballed on me. And I remember a night, I remember where it all changed. Two things happened. This is is crazy stories. My CFO, Andy Johnson, he came in and he was every day just beating me up. You know, we need to get money. We need to get money. We got to do this. We got to do this. And I remember screaming at him one night at my kitchen table where I live today. And I said, Andy, here's the way this is going to work. This is the first day I became a leader in my new life. This is the way it's going to work, Andy. You have one chance a month to come into my office and tell me how dire things are. To tell me how much money we need and how bad things are. One time a month. You're not doing this every day. We're going to build a great company here, but we're not doing this shit every day. And I remember screaming at him there were probably
1: more expletives than that oh it was
2: at him. it was a tirade we went out to dinner that night i don't remember all i remember is that meeting went out to dinner that night and that was the first moment that's the first moment that i realized didn't matter all the success we'd had the last 12 years this day i wasn't doing my job i was i was really 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 doing a shitty job that was the first thing the second thing happened A couple months later, and these were two really key points. My mom called me Carolyn Terry, Woodville, Alabama. And I grew up, she's the toughest human I've ever met in my life. She was the sports fan of my family. My dad didn't, I don't think, watch a single sporting event until a few years ago. She says, I kept, she goes, I kept seeing on the internet, I saw this on the internet, Shannon. And she was like, I saw this on the internet, Shannon. And I'm like, mom, those websites are crap. What are, you, what are you talking about? I don't, don't go there. And what, what she had seen was she had seen digital brands that were publishing on Google and the internet and, and I'll never forget it. And so I went back cause I always went to work office. And I started doing research and I, what I found was taking place. It was real simple now very difficult at the time is that endemic audience was shifting from known brands to anyone that had control of a social or search platform. Right. So a light went off, did
1: a bunch of research. The algorithm started. It all started. Where they were going after people.
2: So, you know, so we live in a world right now where there's your brand, your site, who you are, and there's the platform world. Well, the last 10 years, per se 12 years has been a domination of the platform world. So search, social, Google, Facebook, Twitter, you name it. Well my mom triggered it. And so within the next three to four months, we had, we, we I went back to our investors, I said, give me a couple million bucks. I got this. We just figured it out. Trust me. We'd done some some small sampling. Well, we then took twenty four seven to, you know, from struggling to making hundreds of thousands of dollars a month to making millions of dollars a month, all within a matter of a blink, because of one phone call from my mom, wearing me out about the website she was qu- she was quoting that I, I was going trash, garbage. Never heard of that person, but she was beating me up over these. Light went off, and then the rest was history. And then we built that to, you know, who knows what.
1: I get so damn frustrated, Shannon, over I'll, – I'll get text messages from family members or friends and say, mm-hmm. what do you think about this? You know, Hugh Freeze is uh, holding out for Tennessee, but Auburn's coming after him. And it's someone on Twitter or Instagram that posts a story or something, and it's no one. And I immediately click on them and say, I don't know who this person is. They're not valid. I don't know what's going on here. And it pisses me off but this is the world we live in. Yes. Anyone can say anything, and at times it doesn't matter because the audience can't discern what's good and what's not. How frustrating is that? As a content provider, to try to explain to people what's good and what's not, just like Shannon Terry explaining to Carolyn Terry, your mother at the yeah. time, what's good and what's not. It used to be. And so
2: I, I think you know, we've been playing this game for years. And, and what we had to realize was that the platforms there, there, there's levels of agnosticism. There's passion to agnostic. Okay. There is, I'm completely passionate about, you know, Ohio state Buckeyes to, to the point where I, I am, I use Ohio state for social collateral. Okay. That's the fan. And so from a sports perspective, we built 24-7 from, to, be, to appeal to how many million Ohio State fans. I am incredibly passionate. I am a season ticket holder. And by God, my kids will go to school there. All the way down to just, I mean, it's just a social platform. right? From, I mean, it's social collateral for me to, to engage in conversation.
1: So it's incredible you know, that you think of where things have gone now. Honestly, Shannon, I thought at one point you're going to be less Moonves with with a less, sh- you know, shady personal life. Without the button under my name. Right, screen. without yeah. all that. But yeah. I thought, you know, this is a guy, when CBS comes in, CBS Viacom, buys 24-7 sports, I'm thinking, damn, Shannon Terry might be the head of CBS at some point. Not just CBS Sports, but the head of CBS. What was it like going from entrepreneur – owner of a business, sole proprietor, for the most part, you had investors that you had to make sure yep. were taken care of, but to corporate Goliath employee, even as a CEO of 24-7 Sports, but working for a company like that?
2: You know, here, here's the thing. I, I, th- I think the way I lead and the way I manage, you, you really have to kind of measure me from a cumulative perspective I think if you grab me from snapshots, I'm, I'm, you, you're probably not going to like me. I mean, ask ask Sam Savage how much he likes me, but in the in that vein, ask Sam Savage, you know, how much he learned and developed during the two two years on in, in our organization. And so, I'm not built for the. Isn't corp-
1: that every good leader though? I don't know. You know, here, here's I, I, I think here's it what almost did, but uh, you know, there's always. Like, you know, Shannon Terry, you die in 10 years, okay? You're not going to die in 10 years. But let's just say, you know, for instance, you die in 10 years. Sam Savage, Barton Simmons, uh, everyone who's worked for you over the years, they're going to eulogize you, and they're going to say a lot of great things about you. But it's not always going to be, this guy was the nicest guy I've ever been around. But it's always, it's going to be with you. He taught me a lot. I learned a lot. He was fair right? Isn't that ultimately what you need? We're all going to rub people the wrong way in any line of life. I mean, that's, I I think that's important to, that's an important distinction for people who are leaders in their business like you are. You know, that's an
2: interesting point.
1: And I'm not saying that to suck up to you. I'm just saying at any point, I'm sure there are people who hate you that have worked for you, but the people that would actually be there at your funeral, they're going to say a lot of nice things about you, even if they hated you at one point or another. I hated my high school basketball coach, Tim Bell, because I didn't play against Gallatin High School as a sophomore when I thought I should. But you learn to, you get older and learn, you know what, that was a good lesson that I learned that day. And I'll
2: take that. You know, my, my, I'm not in a popularity contest. Here, here's what I am. You know, when you take 24-7 sports, for example, okay, and, I, and I'll break it down for you, $8.6 million is what we... Is what we we took from I'm sorry, what we put in that company. Of that eight point six, I put in two. Okay? So from my perspective, I've got six million dollars plus interest from some of Nashville's elite and close friends in that business. That believed in you. That believed that bet on me. You take me out of that equation. I'm not being arrogant. That money's not there. That's they a They bet fact. on Shannon right.
1: Terry, who had the idea for Rivals, so, has so, this now. So
2: the way I look at it, number one, I'm working for you, not my two-point whatever I put in it. So I could handle losing my money. I couldn't handle losing Stuart McCorder's money or Bill King, you know, William King, the investor's money, or, or, or you go down the list. So that's number one. Number two, the people and the families that work for us. And so I'm a fiduciary to build your career. Now what that looks like is this. That looks like that looks like the fact I'm going to be authentic with you. Now I'm one person or my staff is one staff. We're going to tell you and build you the way that we think best is for your growth. And that doesn't that doesn't align with, you know, sunshine and roses always. And here here's the one thing I'm not good at, okay? I am not the coach or the leader that fires you up. There are no speeches. There are no fire them up speeches. There are no words of motivation. Go read this book or any of that crap. Okay, what there is, though, is you know exactly what you've got to do. And if you do it well, you get to do the next thing. If you can do it well and teach others, you get to lead. And that's, that's just the way I look at it. You know, I wish I was and, and I, in my next life, which is happening right now. I am committed.
1: <laughs> we're all in our next life. We're all in right our now. next
2: life. I am, to, I am committed to understanding the people better. Because what I do is this. And this is it. This is, we all have kryptonite. I put you in our culture's box. Not my box. I say this is the culture of outsider. This is the business culture of 24-7. You can subscribe to it or you can get the hell out. Don't care. You know, and that's what I tell my leaders. My leaders are always try to get me to be patient. Like, give them time to buy in. I'm like, no, I don't. You don't get time to buy in. You're either a selfless person that sees the bigger picture, you know, or you're about you. Well, the younger kids, they need time to see. I can't comprehend that. You know, because here's my dad said, get the hay off the field. Get it on the wagons and get it in the barn because it's going to rain for two weeks. Yeah. And we don't have hay. So I know you want to be shooting hoops. I know you want to be watching, at that time, MTV because it just came out. Mind blown. But guess what? It doesn't work that way. Now, there's a balance. I'm I'm screwed up from the perspective that, you know,
1: I I treat everyone as an adult. But you're not screwed up that way. Let's get past this, because what you're saying right now is what a, a lot of people need to hear. And I'm not saying that from some boomer, old generation you know, line of thinking. This is more of a, this is what a lot of people need to hear, and this is how work needs to be done. It's, there's a great line. I love the show Mad Men. I'm a huge pop culture guy, entertainment guy. There's a great scene in Mad Men where Peggy is bitching at Don Draper about the love that she hasn't been shown and this and that. And he says, that's what the money's for. I pay you to do the job that I want you to do. I'm not here to give you all these compliments and tell you you know, what you need to do and, hey, great job, Peggy, way to do it. And it's a very old school approach, and I know that probably rubs people the wrong way at times. But I don't think you need to apologize for that. In, in what you've done in your career, there's no need for apologies. You know, I, I think the key here is... And I'm sure there are some people who you know, don't like you, but who cares? No, I, I, that doesn't mean anything to me.
2: You know, here's the thing. At some point in time, you, you have to be respectful and you have to be an adult. And and as leaders of organizations, you also have empathy for when things are really bad. You know, but you but you have to... You know, my situation is I've always been so black and white. These are the rules. Your job is to work within the rules. I don't care what comes up. But there are situations where organizations need to have more empathy. And so back to your question. This was all one big roundabout. Yeah. If you think the way I lead could work in an organization like CBS, there's zero chance. And I knew that. I knew that from the go. Because um, um, it's corporate it's it's more than corporate you know there there's it's it's a public company corporate isn't my problem you know creating creating an image here here's the thing and i get it and you know i i love having older children and you know i'll say this the great of all my years i'll I'll say this i've I, i remember being at satco when you know, a gazillion dollars was wired to my account when we closed the rivals deal, and all they' sitting there and every the, the whole group was there, and no one just said a word. It was just kind of everybody had to leave. That was when the wire hit. I remember a lot of great moments in twenty five years, my greatest moment period bar none I'll never forget this, and set set up my next until I die. I walked into our pool house, which was our virtual office. My CFO, who I've worked with for 14, 15 years, Andy Johnson, one of the smartest, hardworking, most unselfish humans I've ever met. I'll walk in, and my 21-year-old son, who's at accounting school at Lipscomb, and him they're on this huge marker board in my office, and Andy's teaching him because Andy had just – I'm sorry, Jack Terry had just started working – Training in our organization, working 20 some hours a week while he's at Lipscomb. And when I saw that moment, when I saw the number one person in my organization taking his day, training and teaching my oldest son, we've got two other little guys, that was the moment I knew this is the reason I'm here and this is what I'm doing this for. That's... uh
1: amazing. And there will never be and there will
2: never be a moment no matter what we do, bad or good that will top that moment from a career perspective.
1: And it's I mean, it, what you're saying right now rings true in a lot of ways. I want to ask you about one person in particular and just I'm going to use this person as an example of someone you hired, you brought on, you saw the talent in this person and you allowed them to grow. And he's a mutual friend of ours, Barton Simmons. Yep. Who I have on my show on the midday 180 on 104.5 The Zone all the time, think he's really good. Barton's my age. Clark Lee, who I think is about to get the Vandy job or may already have it, played at NBA with Barton. Yep. and you know went to Vanderbilt. But a guy who's just good at what he does, and he's really good at what he does, and you saw that, and you allowed him to grow. What what is that relationship like when you're working with someone? Not working with someone; he's working for you, but you're sort of you're putting him in the culture, but you're also trying to grow that talent. You know, I've I've, I've
2: I, I probably we probably were Barton's first real job. Um, one of our largest investors, uh, Bill King in town, I think had a relationship with the family. Uh, Bill went to law school at Vanderbilt. I'm sure he knew Barton's dad. Uh, called me years ago and said, hey, you know, Barton just graduated Yale and was looking for something to do. I think he was working in, in, in the D.C. area. And then Barton came in at the ground level uh, and been has with, been with us ever since now. He's not with us. He's still at, at 24-7 sports now. Here's the thing about Barton, which I really, really liked and I respected. Barton is a great human being, and it starts with that. He has unbelievably high character in, and in, in ethics and, and the thing that I noticed from, about Barton early on, he was willing to work his ass off whatever hours it needed. And Barton never cared who got the credit. And so you fast forward, what, 15 years later or whatever number of years later it is. Now Barton has relationships all over, you know, like, like you just said, you know, he grew up uh, – he learned his craft at the same time many of these coaches were learning theirs, and now they're in prominent positions. And, and the one it's thing – weird
1: for me, Barton and I are the same age. Clark Lee is going to be a head coach in the yeah. SEC. I played travel baseball at some point probably against Clark Lee and Barton. <laughs> now he's a head coach at Vanderbilt. It in, in, means either I'm old or coaches are younger now. Either no way.
2: It's it's all the above. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> and the thing about Barton is he has those relationships. He's connected. And he sees he sees football. He sees the whole landscape from the optics of prep, recruiting, and college. And what I love about Barton is that so many of the people in media right now, they actually look at it from just a pure college play. Barton brings a skill package and a talent and an expertise looking at it from the whole place. And when you talk about guys like Trevor Lawrence, and we live in a world now where if you're good enough, you play, and you play immediately. Well, Barton brings, he brings an expertise and a history and a storytelling that so many of the people that he's competing with now can't do because he's done the work
1: the whole way through. So this is my favorite part about this this whole podcast, is we get to get into the present and future with Shannon Terry and what you're up to. I love the concept of outsider and what you're doing with it. Huge fan of Yellowstone, the television show. Always been a big country music fan. And I think what you're doing now, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're sort of combining what was being done with pop culture and Womanista and comicbooks.com, dot com, but it's a very different way in which you're going about it now with with this concept. What can you tell us about Outsider and and, and what you're doing with this? Yeah,
2: you know, it's it's a project we're excited about, and and here's kind of here here's really the here's the the impetus for it. Okay, there's two pieces. the The first is is there's a segment of America that, that really consumes the platforms It's online. And so we're really, it's, a, it's very much a demo play to target normal, hardworking, decent people. Okay, so that, that's the first.
1: Middle America, but Middle. not necessarily geographically. Yeah, it could no be anywhere in America. Just common yeah.
2: people. Okay, the second thing is I am personally disgusted with, with news media and the political system and all that's happening right now because Amen. media and politics and the parties want you to believe that there's this 50-50 divide because they want fundraising i mean 100 million dollars in in Kentucky to you know 100 million it's, it's ridiculous
1: it's us or them it's us It's or you them versus us they,
2: they have to to have the support to create that divide that's not what it's like the reality is there's about 85 80% of us that are decent hard-working people that wants what that want what is best for our family and our communities that we live in okay the media and politicians are pulling us into something that truly doesn't exist it is it is this facade is a rouge and so it's just not that way there people aren't that divided I personally I am I am socially very liberal and fiscally conservative Okay, and so Raise I your am, hand if you fall in that yeah, category Yeah, I am taller we, we, where, where are we? Well,
1: we're out there working We're, we're, we're doing, you know, we're living it's, life it's, it's the people out there that feel like You know, if, if by letter of the law And in this country If two gay people want to get married It's okay and, But also I want to have a great military
2: Correct And, and fiscally
1: and, responsible
2: And you know, and they deserve all the rights That my children do and, and you know and so the, the the reality of it is is it's disgusting and i and and we are being pulled apart as a nation when that's just not what's happening and so the, if you go read our manifesto our tenets on on outsider you know we believe in in unity we believe in in you know getting what you earn and and there's a philosophy that we're building you know this business around and around the channels of you know, entertainment and outdoors. And look, outdoors doesn't necessarily mean sportsmen. You know, it's it's hiking the Tetons if if you want to. And then obviously a big a big play in that will be sports entertainment, which you know we're really into. So we're excited about that project. What it becomes,
1: we don't know, you know, but it'll probably do well. Is this a multi layered proposition for you where you're mm-hmm. looking at this in different phases? So of what you want this whole project? So to we, be?
2: we have a company. It's called D seventeen. And there's four of us that are partners in D seventeen. Stuart McWhorter, who's you know, Clayton who's was his father. Kentucky yeah. Sports Radio. Yeah. So Stuart is a longtime friend. He's an investor in our other businesses. Uh Andy Johnson, our CFO, and and Nana Nantiki, who's in London from from Ghana. And the four of us, you know, we all have a very similar um View of of how we want to spend the next couple of decades, and so um, we've identified four companies that we want to build um, and and run, and there's no plans to sell them. We're not building them, and so we've 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 launched two of those. The first is Spiny, and Spiny is an is a uh, software company and consultancy for everyone that publishes, and so we feel that we're really good at building audience, creating distribution, and monetizing that audience. And so we have investing millions in a platform specifically. It doesn't matter if you're ESPN.com or if you're a small publishing company like Outsider.com, our, our little company. We're building the software and the, and the intelligence and the AI to run that business. How much and,
1: do you, sorry, How much do you yeah. trust your eye? When it comes to talent and what you see,
2: I think I know immediately i think I think it becomes more of a slotting mechanism and a
1: prove me wrong.
2: It's like you know every most everyone
1: that, Are first impression's yeah. really the most important when it comes to you and identifying talent.
2: you know when I interview someone um I usually have one or two seated questions, and I don't hear anything else. Resumes don't mean anything to me. Where you went to school doesn't mean anything to me there's a lot of factors, you know, there's a few triggers that I have that I look for. I'm looking for the fact, you know, do you have the ability to to put others per first or do you look at, you know, if we're hiring early, do you, do you see us as an extension of your education or do you see us as, you know, we've got to get you to the next point. I mean, there's a lot of little things that you do and I think that's why we've gotten, we've, we've
1: been really successful. It's interesting to me in in what you do as this leader in business, Shannon. And and we've seen it throughout your career, right? Rivals, it was a segmented part of your life. You sold it. You moved on. You had a non-compete 24-7 sports. Built it. Sold it. Ran it for a while. Now we've got Outsider and everything you're doing with that moving forward. Do you see and I ask this because you, just, you had just said this about your three business partners and you see the next 20 years yep. as the, the same way, all with the same vision. Do you look at life in a segmented fashion of this is a five- or ten-year process 100%. and then I want to go to the next thing? Yeah. Are you someone that's motivated and you get the energy from, yep. I want the next five- or ten-year process? Yeah, and my next is, is, is the legacy play. You know, we want to build
2: where we align. And Stuart and I have had a lot of conversations about this, and I have so much respect for for him and Andy and Nana. And, you know, Nana's – he's just out of graduate school, so he's a a little different, you know, category other than being – you know, Einstein level intelligent. I don't, yeah, he's in a little different category than us. We want his to, knees will be different in 20 years. And yours is what you're saying. You know, That's really he, the he, only he, difference. He, he tried to get an Olympics in the triple jump for uh <laughs> London. <laughs> so for, very uh, different. It was totally different, but you know, our, our goals are aligned. We want to build an organization that, that empowers families. We want to build an organization that we can work at, that our kids can work at. And so we have a very, um, intentional plan on how to do that we've just started Uh, we started in august Um, we've raised many millions of dollars from people that believe us and trust us and we'll be we'll we'll do it we know promises but we'll be great stewards of their money and you know i've never been more energized more more committed than i am towards these next endeavors there's no way there's no words i just have to every day get up and just do my job and,
1: and try to control the enthusiasm. You're in the entertainment lane now, so you cover movies, television, these huge celebrities. Yeah. And you know this. There are – it's not Tom Cruise, not the actors. I, I but hope that's
2: not a uh, an omen right there. <laughs> no, this, this could be the bad. For, <laughs>
1: for the last five to ten minutes of the podcast, the uh, siren's not a good thing. But you know that there are these visionary directors, right, that come in and say – I've got this idea. I'm going to do this. And immediately, A-list actors line up. Quentin Tarantino comes in and says, I want to do a 10th movie or whatever number he's on now. And Brad Pitt and Leo sign up and say, I'll do whatever that guy wants to do. Do you have an ability now at this point in your career, at least locally in Nashville, that when you say, this is my idea, you've got seven to 10 people that say, you know what, I'll put in on whatever he's doing. Well, from a money uh, – Just from, from a yeah. money financier from From a standpoint. funding perspective, we could have
2: raised $100 million. It wouldn't have there, – there, there wasn't a limit on that. I mean, we had to – the hardest and – look, and Stuart McWhorter did every bit of that, and I was like, Stuart, you handle it. And when people would call me, I would be like, Stuart, you handle it. You know, like I did not want any part of that because, you know, it's difficult telling people but no. But how good
1: does that feel? It's a great that feeling, people
2: but, have that confidence in you. you know, okay, for a minute, let's celebrate it. But you know what? Here's the deal. Have you seen a press release of the fact that we raised eight million bucks or ten or whatever the number is? No, you haven't. Cause that's not the point. The hard part is once you get it to be stewards of that money. That is the hard part. And so, you know, the fact that we that I am taking you know, I'm not naming names here, but you know these people's money. That is an incredible uh, amount of pressure, even at my part. Even though some of these people, I can name several people I've made tens of millions of dollars in return to. But I still to this day wouldn't want to lose a penny from them. And so I take that responsibility seriously. And, and um, whether it's fear or respect, I don't know.
1: So totally off the wall, but I've always thought this about you, Shannon. If the University of Alabama came to you and said, we want you to be the athletic director, or the University of Tennessee, Philip Fulmer retires and says, this is the outside-the-box guy. We want to run an entire football program and athletic department. You are a guy passionate about the SEC and about sports. Is that something you would consider? Never. At any big job? No. No? No. Why? You know –
2: No. And here, here's why. Because I like what I do. I know I can do it better. I know I've put a lot of time in it. And at this stage of my life, I'm not working for me. I'm working for the people that work for me, the people that invest in me, and my kids, and, and all all of the people that are the next level. And that sounds that sounds like a joke, but it's the truth. And so, you know... I'm getting to a point where I've worked all of these years to get to the point to do what I love to do. The legacy. The last damn thing I would about. want to do is to you know, create some hubris to think that I could go do something I've never done. And so... I have 0.0 interest of doing something different. What I do have an interest, and in, I sit there for an hour today and lectured my son who wrote a letter to a professor because he was in intermediate accounting, and we broke down that letter on how that letter wasn't about Jack Terry who just, did, who just finished intermediate one with a B. <laughs> that letter was about the professor. That's
1: where I want to spend my time, not not playing a game for me. But you know this because Shannon Terry or other successful people, you could have decided I'm going to coach basketball or I'm going to coach football and you would have been probably as successful. You could be coach K. I'm not saying you could be Nick Saban whatever. You could be a highly successful coach if you wanted to do that. That doesn't interest you at all. No. I know that you've chosen this avenue and you want to do it and you're very good at it. But the idea that you could go run an athletic department doesn't interest you in the least. Zero. Zero.
2: I, from a professional perspective, let's be clear. Yeah. Okay. I am that person that people hate because I love my life. I love what I do. I love the quirkiness, the nuances I love the competition of it. I love the underdog. I love the misconceptions and the perceptions. I love my life.
1: Something I notice about you, and tell me if I'm wrong, be completely honest, as genuine as you are, and I know that you will, you like to hire people and not be hired. 100%. I'm a, I'm a control freak. You don't want Make, someone choosing you. You want to choose people. Maybe.
2: I don't know. Here's what I do know. I, I know that. Which is pretty damn cool when you're in that position. I know my limitations. Okay? I know what I love to do. I'm not looking for a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Never have. Never was. I would be much, much wealthier than I am if that was the case. I'm just looking to compete, and I'm looking to have a peace and a joy in doing what I do. Because so much, we sleep. We're family, we're wasted time, we're hobbies, and we work. What part of the pie is work, is your career? It's a big part of it, okay? Well, I never really figured the sleep thing out. You know, I go to bed at 10, I crash, and then I wake up when I wake up. The work part, I mean, it's at least, what, a third of your life? Add them up. I got that figured out. Whether I'm good or bad, you know, look, December 2nd, December – Month of November, Outsider. I'll tell you these numbers because they're really irrelevant in the yeah. scheme of because we're building this thing forever. November, okay, second month of building Outsider, we made almost $200,000 in profit in that business. Mind-blowing.
1: Which was not the start of 24-7 sports. No, mind-blowing. As you told me just earlier.
2: With, like we paid back our investors in like two and a half months type stuff. Like this isn't, shouldn't be happening. You know, young people, they're high-fiving, you know, it's all whatever. And then reality knocked on our door on December 2nd. And so December 2nd, December or December 3rd, Friday, December 3rd, some not-so-good stuff happened. And so from that point, for exactly seven days, all we did were problem-solving a bad problem that knocked us off track. And the reason we were able to fight through that and get back closer to track was because of the culture and the organization. Everyone pitching in from all different parts of the org to figure out the problem. That, those are the kind of moments that I remember. That's what drives me and motivates me.
1: I think you just had the perfect ending for that. Shannon Damn Terry, thank you so much. Season 2 finale. Appreciate it. Chit Chat Podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you.